I thought this evening I could talk about one of my favorite subjects of contemplation, and that is agility. The world that we live in, which seems to be in a state of perpetually accelerating change, challenges anybody who is holding to fixed ideas of how things should be. So it's always the case that being able to accord with change as it's happening is a skillful thing, but... I think at this time it's evident that it's particularly important that we train ourselves with this quality, the ability to adapt, to adjust skillfully. If we don't, then what happens is we regularly experience resistance and struggle. And that manifests with views about it shouldn't be this way and that's heard pretty regularly these days and it shouldn't be like this and so how can we use our Buddhist practice our spiritual disciplines to equip ourselves so as to meet these challenges and It came up in conversation recently with somebody how uh, in our encountering the Buddhist path, uh, sometimes we're feeling great and wonderful about things and sometimes we're not. And just to attach to one perspective is not safe. Any stage of practice, our attachments are likely to be challenged. And I can remember my very first encounter with Buddhist teachings and and having a wonderful feeling of relief that here's something that I can really give myself to. This is not a belief system, this is an invitation to inquire. This is a yes, there's a, a an invitation to trust in actuality. But much more than that is is a set of skillful means and and teachings and concepts that uh, help us navigate through this ever changing world that we find ourselves in and and that's that was so gratifying, so pleasing yeah. but a lot of it was conceptual it was, a, it was an intellectual appreciation of Dhamma intellectual appreciation of the Buddha's teachings but it was great but then it wasn't long after that well I don't remember now but I imagine I can imagine it wasn't long after that that I felt challenged by 
things that to do with the heart, uh, how we feel about life and all its potential ups and downs and and challenges and difficulties and and then the disappointments that come and an intellectual understanding of Dhamma is not going to necessarily help us out when we feel desperately sad over an experience of loss or desperately confused over some circumstance we find ourselves in. An intellectual understanding as gratifying and as delightful as it can be, uh, we're still vulnerable to uh, considerable struggle. Well then there's the good feelings that come when you discover a Buddhist community, spiritual companionship, and that's, that can be wonderful. You know, people who you can meet with, talk with, share with, uh, inquire together with, uh, in a very meaningful, relevant way. Uh, life is not just about politics and money and having a good time. There's understanding. Uh, and that's wonderfully rewarding is to find spiritual companionship and the delight. But we need to be careful with that. If we think that's the end result, we think that's going to last, well, we can be in for a rude awakening. And you find out that the secretary of your Buddhist society is not keeping the minutes in the way that you think they should or the treasurer is not keeping the books in the way you think that they should or doesn't turn up for a meeting and uh, people that we consider our spiritual companions start falling out with each other. Well, that's disappointing. So we need to be able to, we need to be agile enough to keep adjusting, to be able to accord skillfully with what we encounter. Or maybe it's when we discover meditation, likewise, especially in the beginning when you you're fresh and new and open and interested and and really enthusiastically give yourself to this new opportunity and and then maybe discover this shift that's possible and your perspective on experience and how inspiring and rewarding that is and the possibility of a discovering a kind of inner peace that you didn't even know was an option before that can be really energizing and delightful. However, if the mm. practice is doing what it's supposed to do and we find ourselves letting go of our fixed views and opinions on things and, and our awareness and sensitivity goes deeper, we can find ourselves intensely challenged. Mm. Mm. Even deeply threatened as some of our old forms of false security start to fall away and and then our good feeling is replaced with not so good feeling and, and are we agile enough to be able to accord with that and say, right, this is what's happening right now. This is unpleasant feeling. That was pleasant feeling and while it was there it was enjoyable and we appreciate it and get refreshed by it maybe. But this is unpleasant feeling. Can we accord with this unpleasant feeling? So the importance of 
agility, being able to adjust according to what's here now, what's happening in this moment. And there's a, that dumber part of verse which I've quoted before, where verse number 91, which says, Alert the needs of the journey, those on the path of awareness, like swans, glide on, leaving behind their former resting places. Alert the needs of the journey, those on the path of awareness, like swans, glide on, leaving behind their former resting places. The temptation, when we find a resting place, we find a situation, we find a technique, we find a tradition, we find a teacher, and we find a group of friends that makes us feel good. The temptation is, what? Is to cling. That's what, as children, we learn to do. You cling to mummy and daddy, you cling to your toys, you cling to your possessions. And for infants, for children, that's normal. But as we grow up, we need to get the message, we need to learn that actually clinging creates obstructions. We can get away with clinging to things when we're children because our parents are protecting us. But as we grow up, we realize, well, hopefully we realize there isn't really anybody or anything protecting us other than the possibility of clear seeing. Mature, well-developed awareness that's not distorted, not disfigured by greed, hatred and delusion. That can protect us, that can sustain us. But other than that, the ideas we might have that somebody's looking after us really need to be questioned. And in its place of the habits of clinging, and what the Buddha and all the great teachers are encouraging us is to learn the skill of letting go of fixed views and fixed opinions. And letting go, of course, we need to remind ourselves regularly, letting go doesn't mean to say getting rid of. An uninspected appreciation of these teachings on letting go, an uninspected hearing of the teachings of not clinging, we can flip to the other side and say, well, we're not supposed to even hold on to anything. Well, that's definitely not the case. You can't hold on to anything. You can't have a cup of tea. You need to be able to hold on to the cup to drink a cup of tea. We need to be able to hold on to our thoughts about what's happened in the past and our expectations and extrapolations about what could happen to the future. We need to be able to hold on to these things so as to learn from the past and to prepare ourselves for the future, to plan for the future. But if we cling to the past, well, that is not necessarily helpful, or almost certainly not helpful. Likewise, if we cling to fantasies and stories about the future, that can give us a very distorted perspective on reality. So holding, skillfully, wisely, that's called mindfulness. Mindfulness and clear comprehension, sati-sampajanya, that's definitely called for. But clinging is a problem. It creates our problems. It creates, it's at the source of all of our problems. So when we don't have agility, if we haven't cultivated agility, flexibility, then there is a real risk that we're likely to fall into these old habits of 
clinging, holding on to things, thinking that they're going to give us a dependable level of security. And whether it's our spiritual practices, our spiritual opinions, our spiritual companions, or whether it's external worldly matters, when we cling heedlessly, not whole, but when we cling in a way that contradicts reality, then we create a struggle for ourselves and for others as well, for that matter. So to train ourselves with agility and so we can skillfully accord with things and not fall into the habit, the old habits that we were perhaps valid at a very early stage of life of clinging. And then to be able to inspect these habits that we have, to inspect the assumptions we have. Like when we're still habitually clinging, we we can have the assumption that the way things appear to be is the way things actually are. Like the former resting places in that Dhammapada verse. You you meet some nice spiritual companions, it can look like it's okay to cling. You find a really good model for understanding reality. It can feel and look and apparently be okay to cling, to hold on to it. So we need to be able to look deeper and, and sense beyond the way things appear to be. This is why, this is why we're so fortunate to have these teachings, the, the teachings about Dhamma, the teachings about reality, the teachings about actuality. And to keep reminding ourselves, to regularly remind ourselves, to regularly reflect. The way things appear to be is not necessarily the way things are. The way things appear to be is not necessarily the way things are. Over and over again, in our formal practice and in our daily life practice. Yes, there is the surface level of the way things appear to be. But that's not necessarily actuality. I regularly reflect on this when I make myself a pot of tea. I put the, well, there's already a teaspoon. There's always a teaspoon in my tea caddy and I take a, a spoon of tea out and put it in the teapot. And looking at the tea caddy, you can't really notice the level of the tea leaves going down. Actually, my tea caddy is a glass tea caddy and so I can see in there. You can't really see. There's not a discernible decrease necessarily and the amount of tea in there. And yet one day, the tea's gone. This is this particular example has been evident to me for many years. It just keeps striking me how on so many levels we get fooled by the way things appear to be. It really doesn't look like the level of the tea leaves is going down, but it actually is going down. Eventually, actually, the tea cat is empty. That's reality. That's the truth. But it doesn't look that way. It really doesn't look that way. Similarly with our health. Probably by this stage of life, all of us experience some sort of sickness and know how disagreeable that can be. And then maybe have the fantasies about when I get well, I'm going to really look after myself. I'm going to really do my exercise routine. I'm going to eat carefully and really take care of my health and But do we really, or do we forget 
do we get fooled again by the way it appears to be? When we feel comfortable, it feels like it's always going to be this way. Well, like when you're young, it can feel like you're always going to be young. Some of us by this stage of life know that we're not always young. And being towards your late 60s is not the same as being towards your late 20s. But when you're young, you can really feel like it's always going to be this way. Or when you're clinging to an opinion about your interpretation of the Buddha's teachings, you can feel so good by clinging to that opinion, by a feeling of certainty. Or if you have a good meditation experience, a feeling of certainty and confidence, oh, I'm onto a good thing here. That feeling can feel wonderful. And if we haven't stopped to inspect it, if we haven't seen beyond the way it appears to be, then we can easily get fooled into clinging and get stuck at our these former resting places referred to in that verse so reminding ourselves in everyday life as we come across changing circumstances whether they're agreeable or disagreeable that even though it can appear that holding to fixed views and opinions is the way can give you a certain sense of certainty and a certain confidence comes with that but it's a rigid sort of confidence it's not a harmonious sort of confidence a rigid sort of strength not a flexible, agile form of strength if there's agility then other aspects of Dhamma also we can see we're likely to see the benefit in them, like the Buddha's encouragement to cultivate patient endurance. On the apparent level, patient endurance is not obviously particularly productive. You look at somebody sitting there being patient, or you look at somebody sitting in meditation, it doesn't look very good necessarily. You know, some people might have impressive postures and look great, but most of us don't look that good. You know. However, on the inside, this person could be cultivating patient endurance. And, and the Buddha talked about patient endurance as the, and there's that Dhammapada verse that I sent out a few days ago on the full moon day, the Dhammapada 399, that talks about that patient endurance as, as the might of the noble ones. And elsewhere, he talked about it as tapo titika, patient endurance, tapo titika, the ultimate purifier. Well, actually, literally, tapo is talks about as the word means ascetic practice. But and the practice itself is not what's ultimate; it's what the practice is aimed at, which is purifying, purifying consciousness of greed, hatred, and delusion. The ultimate purifying. Practice is the Buddha said patient endurance. It's ultimate. Now that's not immediately obvious. I mean, what we find obvious is striving and achieving and overcoming and conquering and energetic endeavor. These things look impressive. But too much of striving and achieving and 
trying to overcome things actually can exhaust us and can mm, push us out of balance. And sometimes what's called for is a very gentle, willing, patiently bearing with what's happening. Like the state of not knowing, the state of uncertainty, whether it's triggered by seeing what's going on around us or seeing what's happening inside of us. I'm really not sure about this. Like the Buddha's teachings, you're allowed to be unsure. In fact, if you feel unsure, you're supposed to be noticing that you feel unsure. The Buddha was very explicit about just believing in what's popular is not it. Just believing in what other people think is meaningful and relevant is not it. We're encouraged to bear with our feelings of uncertainty and to look into them, not to try and bypass them. And How do you look into feelings of uncertainty? Well, if we're caught up in too much zeal and enthusiasm, then we don't have the capacity to hold skillfully, mindfully, and allow this feeling of uncertainty to be there in the whole body-mind, to feel unsafe, to feel uncertain, to feel unsure, and feel it from a perspective of expanded awareness with gentleness and sensitivity so that we can investigate it, investigate our relationship to it, and then be able to investigate uh, possible causes for the uncertainty. So patient endurance is a, is a wonderful resource. But if we're caught up in clinging to fixed views and opinions, if that's our, our habitual disposition, then maybe we'll unfortunately miss out on the message. So patient endurance is the ultimate purifier. and It can give protection. Patient endurance can give protection and protect us from falling into old habits, old habits of clinging, mm. the habits that we had before we'd come across the, uh, a wisdom teaching, a reality teaching, where we thought that just clinging to me and my way was the way. Mm. And those habits are not just intellectual pathways, no. no. Our, physical structure, our muscles, our nervous system are conditioned by the way we were taught to think and for decades maybe we've cultivated habits of holding on in ways that are not in harmony with reality so how are we protected from falling into those old habits well one way is this cultivation of patient endurance and remember that patient endurance is completely different from bitter endurance. Mm. Bitter endurance, you, you probably have some experience of that where you just grit your teeth and put up with something that you really don't like. And you think, well, the teachings say I'm supposed to be patient. Well, they don't just say we're supposed to be patient. They encourage us to recognize the benefit of the right kind of patience. It's just the same as the right kind of holding. The right kind of holding means that we can investigate something and look into it and see, potentially see, uh, what's actually going on there. If we can't hold on to something, 
we don't have enough steadiness of attention, then we're not going to be able to investigate. But if we hold too tightly, well, we just build up more stress and confusion, get all hot and bothered. Well, likewise with patience. Willful patience is bitter endurance. It can make us more bitter. Whereas patient endurance is more gentle. Also, patient endurance can conduce with a sense of confidence. Sometimes when we feel we're lacking in confidence, we're, well, I've got to study more, read more, get more information. Or maybe I need to find another teacher who's going to give me confidence, who's going to tell me I'm on the right path. Well, that might work to some degree, but becoming dependent upon ideas and that we've read in a book or, or some other person's opinion always keeps us vulnerable and dependent on external sources. And this encouragement, the encouragement of this teaching is to turn inwards and see if we can find something inwardly in the heart itself, in consciousness itself, that produces security and confidence. And so maybe what's called for is the ability to patiently bear with doubt. Patiently bearing with doubt. Doubt doesn't have to indicate that we're failing. Doubt can just be an indicator of we're at the edge of our ability to perceive. Like when children are growing up. A child, a very young child, doesn't understand that a clock is a, a tool, not a toy. You don't throw a clock around. It doesn't do the clock any good. You throw the clock up in the air and watch it drop on the floor. That's not a skillful relationship with a clock. But the child's perceptual capacity means they don't understand that, so you keep clocks out of the kid's way until they grow up a little bit and they realise, oh, actually clocks are useful and you look after them. So the perceptual capacity changes. Well, likewise, inwardly, when we reach the point of doubting and fear of uncertainty, maybe what's being indicated is that this is the time to gently bear with where we're at right now, not pushing, striving to achieve a new level of understanding, but rather allowing understanding to emerge. Now, we're not going to be able to allow organic, authentic, real appreciation to emerge, to manifest, if we're always pushing. So, once again, patient endurance is a quality that if we appreciate it and cultivate it skillfully, it can lead to a kind of confidence, a kind of gentle strength, not a rigid form of strength. And, and confidence can also be a rigid form of arrogance, and that's obviously not what we're talking about. Patient endurance is a, is a nutriment, a sustaining nutriment that when the challenges, external or internal again, 
when the challenges really appear too much, what is it that sustains us? Where do we find nutriment? Well, despite what patient endurance looks like on the outside, despite the apparent reality of patient endurance, which doesn't look very good, doesn't look very impressive, actually patient endurance can be very, very sustaining. One of the things Ajahn Chah most helpfully said was, in his experience, and said, in the end, there is only patient endurance. In the Thai language, Tung ti sot kumi kwam watorn taunan. Tung ti sot kumi kwam watorn taunan. Patient endurance. That's all there is in there. When all the tricks we've tried, all our intellectual gymnastics, trying to figure things out and understand things and discern patterns and get a clear idea of what's what, or our desperate attempts to feel compassion for all beings, when these efforts let us down, what's left? Well, what's left is patient endurance. And it seems to me that the patient endurance is supported by and strengthened by the cultivation of agility. So these two seem to go together very well, agility and patience. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Andamaya, 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 and